0: the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler, buddy. We live on a Wednesday night. How you feeling? Live on a Wednesday night, back to the normal bi-weekly episodes after some ups and downs over the last few months.
1: Well little um, flow as we were kind of working out our schedule over the off season. We kind of, you know, okay, well, do we feel like it? it? Nah. Is anyone lined up? Do we have to? Is there now, enough news to talk about? Let, let, let's Let's kind of feel things out and you know, after, you know, two weeks ago we had some stuff for you, but this has been a pretty busy couple weeks, uh, especially with baseball and some of the stuff that's coming out uh, from the, the camps that have already started and some of the uh, the stuff that Pride's been talking about with some of the, the local media. We thought, hey, let's let's get another one out here. Let's talk these things through a little bit and see see what you guys think.
0: Absolutely. It was time. Again, the ebbs and flows of the off season. Sometimes we sit here and we start looking at how much data we have. And it's like that's like 30 minutes. And I can talk <laughs> when I sit there and say it's 30
1: minutes. <laughs> I, can talk. I mean, so, we, we like, can pad it to an hour, but I don't think you guys want to hear that.
0: No, but you don't. We, we got no, some I'm... fun
1: stuff for you tonight. We got we got at least a good hour that is substantive and, and going and to be good stuff for you guys to pour over. Well, a lot of stuff's
0: broken on the last few weeks. And like you said, Brian, let's lead it off. Let's talk about the baseball program. Um, You know, what a season, first of all. Before we get into all the details, what a season, you know, from – I think you said it or tweeted out a few weeks ago or a few days ago, a team that was fixed to finish sixth on their side of the conference wins the conference outright – Gets a super regional host, gets a regional host, is a top four seed. It is such a gigantic step for the program in general.
1: Yeah. Huge step for the program. Um, This is kind of what they've been building towards, right? Like we've seen like baby steps, baby steps, and they finally took that big step this year. And it was good to see them kind of put the pieces together where they could really, you know, put together a run that, you know, I think Blacksburg and, and, and Hokie Nation in general would, would be proud of and have been wanting to see for a while and, you know, super get proud. to the regional Regional hosting. Um, it ran through Columbia twice, got Wright State in that opening game. 14 runs in one inning.
0: Jesus. I, 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 that was just impressive. Like, the game was kind of over, and I kind of looked away because it's like they're not coming back. We're hitting them hard. But to come back like 30 minutes later and see the 14 spot, it's like, this is, I told you, Brian, I think I texted you. I said, this is like a state championship caliber baseball team playing one that isn't good. That's yeah. what that ending reminded me of. And, I mean, they, they again, they, they ran through them. They never had a face gun Gonzaga, the team we talked about the most. They did not show up to
1: the Blacksburg Regional, but, Nah, their 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 pitching didn't help them, and they did not have the run support to nope, to keep all. up with Columbia. It, it's true, but
0: let's just talk about this, and let's let's just reflect first of all on the regional. To win a regional, to win a regional is a milestone for a program, because this program until 2022 had been in a it'd been in nine, I believe, it had never got to a super regional. Yep. To win it and to get to the Super Regional. That's a milestone in itself for a program that had never done it before.
1: Yeah, and it it started with the regular season, putting themselves in a position where they could host the regional, where they could get a somewhat favorable draw in the regional and be able to just hammer them out of the park and and, and move on to the next stage. Uh, It was huge for them, huge for Hokie Nation, huge for Blacksburg, having that many people show up to campus back-to-back weekends this late in the season. Exactly.
0: that. This late in the season, the stadium was packed for just about – for every Hokie um, game um, to get that first Super Regional bid where you were essentially one of the best 16 teams in the country. We had known that all year, but some teams didn't make it. The example was Florida, and, you know, and subsequently we had to play the Oklahoma Sooners. And sort of the big news that came out early before the series even started was the hammer – which had sort of been a – you can call it a rally call, a a team builder, a boost, a fun prop, is ruled by the NCAA it can't be on the field. Well, let's see. At this point in time, we're about 70 games
1: in, and now it's a problem? Yeah. (laughs) Now it's a problem? Now it's a problem. Not only now is it a problem, but now other teams throughout the country in the Supers – are using their props, but for some reason, the hammer got literally singled out in this instance as being a topic of concern or whatever the hell they wanted to emphasis, whatever bullshit lingo that the NCAA exactly. uses to justify this shit. And I mean, we, you know, we can hammer the NCAA all we want to, but my problem is not, it, it's not just the inconsistency of the application of the rules. It's that also. There are actually legitimate problems that the NCAA is not dealing with, but the that that, hammer is a point of emphasis here because <laughs> it's intimidating to the opponents. Um, I mean, are we going to pull the uh, the turnover chain? Or I mean, does Florida State still have the, the, the stupid the ass backpack pants. like? The Georgia spike pads? that they Yeah, get. I mean, does the, 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 the Florida State still have the stupid backpack? Did they get rid of that? Uh, like I, uh, I haven't watched the Florida well, hold State Hold on, games. wait a second. Florida State should not be allowed to put the spear in the middle of the field
0: anymore. It's just too – it's so scary. It's intimidating. Bunch of baloney, bunch of garbage. <laughs> um, especially when the way it was used, it was never – it, it was always pointed towards the dugout, and it was just the Hokies. It wasn't like they were going out there in the middle of the – right behind the catcher and deciding to do it. They were literally a bunch of garbage,
1: but uh, they They weren't doing it at the plate. Like if if they'd have brought it to the plate or near the batter's box, it's one thing They're They're like past the on deck circle. Like they're closer to the dugout than they are. They're literally four
0: steps from the dugout. It's just a bunch of garbage, but let's, let's hit, let's start game one, which was three o'clock the early game, but Hey, an ESPN two game. Nonetheless, you get national attention right there. And, You know, the loss is 5-4. Yeah. Watching that game and the – a good frame job is one thing. A ridiculous asinine frame job should never be called a strike. I don't even care if it's borderline. But when legitimately a catcher is attempting to pull it three to four inches back in and it's an obvious pull and you're getting a strike call, I was so pissed at that because it's like – that, that ball's three inches below the knees. Like, that's not... You can't swing at that. It's outside.
1: Well, there was one call three strike that was about four, four inches below the zone and two inches off the plate. It was on the white line. What are you talking about <laughs> two inches? It was <laughs> on the white line. which like it, generally- it was out of the dirt. And Yeah, you, you said it pretty much on the white line and then framed as the corner. I was like, what? No. But neither here nor there about that, it took... Quite a few innings
0: for the bats to get cranked up. You know, they did get cranked up late to cut into that lead, but it it was just too little too late at that point. They had their ace going, and their ace is an ace. You could see, I'll say this their number one is probably going to be a guy in a couple years, um, because I think he's a sophomore. Don't quote me on that, but you see, he had good stuff, he has potential stuff to. To keep his-
1: yeah, I, I consistency was his problem. I think when when he was on, he was on. When he had, when he had control, he was on. But you know, he'd Only- have out he'd have outings where where he get plunked a little bit. This is one where he was locked in, dialed in early, and I think the calls you know, the, the the opposite uh, on our end. We we yeah. were not dialed in early on on the mound, and we weren't hitting. And you know, when we look back at this series at the super regionals, you you can point at. The missed opportunities in Game One, as as to why we're not heading to Omaha. It's true, um, but like you said, though we
0: had to get rid of, we had to pull our Friday starter in the second. The bullpen did a great job to keep it close. Um, and for us, with the guy, their number one who was who was pitching good, but then also getting the calls, we didn't see any of their bullpen. We saw him and we saw the closer, and the closer is one of the best in the country. Guys, 95 to 96. And if you take a look at some of the secondary pitches, one goes down to about 86, and he has a 79-mile-an-hour or something. I want him to say it's maybe a curve. But that's who we saw. We saw their best two pitchers, and when you can't shell, and then with the zone the way it was, it hurts. But like you said, Brian, it's 5-4. That's the one that stings you. Yeah. Now, down 1-0 and elimination, game two happens early afternoon, crowds packed, crowds jacked, and second pitch of the game, Bittison. gone.
1: Goodbye. And, and we, we talk about the uh, the hammers. I like that they broke out the air hammers uh, for the home Yes, runners. yes. They should have got
0: an inflatable hammer yeah. just to really drive it home. And then, you know, third inning, two-run shots from Cross and Hunter. And the game's five, you know, basic lap point, five-nothing. And it looks like it's going to be a cruise, but, you know, Oklahoma, to their credit, kept fighting and fighting and fighting. Because we get up into the fifth inning, you know, bottom four, they cut the lead to one. And then Shobel comes out, answers, gets us back rolling again. Um, but reality kind of set in. We talked about having to use the bullpen in game one. It happened again in game two. And it was Hackenberg who I think he's got the stuff, but you can tell being a younger guy, his arm's not quite there. But to me, his strike, his fastball looked fine. He just could not throw a breaking ball before a strike to save his life.
1: Yep. Yeah. So yeah, and, and had to go to the bullpen again so now you got, you know, Hurley and Higgins coming in. And now you have got, you know, three of your, your key members of your bullpen have thrown significant innings now.
0: Yeah, thrown significant innings because game 1 to their credit they kept you in it. But game 2 because Oklahoma's battling back, they had to pitch great and Herney pitched unbelievable. Kearney, Herney had the probably his best outing of his career. And to me, I think you can say give him player of the game because if he doesn't keep pitching the way he pitches, that game could have been tied late versus a runaway, you know, 14-8 victory. Um, But it all set up game three. And, you know, watching that here, first inning, you know, two home runs in the first inning, that is not the way you want to start a game three in a Super Regional.
1: No. You hate being behind the eight ball. You hate that you're you're giving them confidence with the home runs. It's not just you know the, you had an error and you had you know a bloop single driver man in. It's you know two dingers. It definitely you know from a mental standpoint kind of already puts you in a position where you feel like you're you're uh, having to having to push a little bit, right? Yeah. And, and sometimes that that's gonna hurt you at the plate. And we saw. It hurt them
0: at the plate, especially in the first couple innings against Cade Horton, the redshirt freshman for Oklahoma. No base runners, no hits. He didn't walk anybody, and when when you're going in there and it's two nothing and you're not getting base runners on, that definitely you can see anyone that's ever played baseball, you can see gears start turning heads and the in the overthinking starts. But they settled down in the third. Malinowski finally got a hit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of the, the butt of some jokes, but he finally gets the hit. And then Demartini brings him home, brings the hammer in in the third to tie the ball game. You feel like, okay, we're getting the momentum back, but we give the lead right back in the fourth inning. And and you you brought this up. I think you texted me while you were down in South Austin that those – first. he's like, the bullpen's not there. He's like, the the that We need Herney um and higgins with them out you know we we're, we're, we're just we don't have the gas and you could see it you know they start they kept hitting the ball um and what can you do well, there, there there's not much you can do after that because you you've had to play your cards a certain way and you know maybe they should go to five games cuz clearly the most <laughs> talented team didn't
1: Win this, um, yeah, I mean, we had a problem we 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 ended up getting Oklahoma while they weren't as talented as Florida. We caught them on a hot streak, and they certainly played like a team that was on a hot streak, um because yeah. even a game where we were hammering it they 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 hung around hung, um, hung, and, and yeah, from a, and from a pitching standpoint we we definitely did not have our best weekend, no, not um, at all, so not at all.
0: And the the hanging around and hanging around is having to use Herney for almost four innings. Because if they don't hang around, hang around, and you can use him two, maybe you can bring him back in for two more and maybe it limits it. But, you know, after they got down so much, it was – you have to start swinging even if it's bad pitches. Because Sunday, to me, the zone winded back up again for Oklahoma because there, there were a couple of pitches I saw Gavin Cross was going to be a top 10 pick we're swinging at. You normally don't see him swing at, but when they were getting called low and outside, he's he's swinging at the ball because you know, it's going to be a strike. I've got to try to put a bat on it. So, you know, uh, unfortunate, you know, the super regional ends in heartbreak, but it's the steps. And you said something, what did you say to me today, Brian, about, um,
1: you sent me I, was ta- I was talking about getting, getting eyes on the program. Yeah, there you um, go. That's what it is. Yeah, th- this is start getting more eyes on the program. You're you're seeing Blacksburg on TV in meaningful games late in the spring. Uh, so this is gonna this is gonna have a trickle down effect. This is gonna matter long term. Uh, th- this shows that hey, you know, we can we can hit with the big boys. If you come here, you can play in big games. You can play in big
0: games. You can have a chance to go to the College World Series. You will have eyes on you to where you can potentially be a top ten pick. Um, And someone else, I cannot remember the name. Somebody was chatting about it today. He's going to get a second-round grade. If you can remember and you message us, I will mention you on here. I just can't remember it because I'm getting old. But it's also a way of – I think it was shovel. That, I think shovel was one getting it. Yeah, I think is a, that yeah. okay? But you talk about getting the eyes, but it's also money. When you make regionals and you make super regionals, it's extra money for those non-revenue sports. Baseball and softball have the potential to be revenue sports, though. If you are selling tickets, obviously there are you've got network games, which the ACC network just is a. Freaking shit show.
1: Please they fix that. Not. Somebody, somebody get in there yeah. and fix that shit. I mean, it's, it's terrible. It's so laughable. I mean. It's bad. You, you, I mean, and I'm not just talking about for Virginia Tech. It's putting literally every team in the every ACC team. behind the eight ball against SEC and Big Ten. Yes. And Pac-12. Yes. So, somebody's got to fix that. But, again, it's a great season
0: for baseball. It's a great season for softball. It was a great spring season. And in general, it was a great season overall. Um, you know, probably once everything over the next 10 days figured out with in Omaha, probably going to be the best finish in the, the Capital One Clash, which is basically every sport. It's every sport counts, you know, probably going to be our highest finished ever, which is really awesome, and it shows you – kind of whip Babcock's vision of building it because you're getting to a point now where like the wrestling team is probably going to be self-funded in a couple of years. If the baseball team and softball team keep it up, they're probably going to be close to self-funding themselves. And Brian, if these non-revenue sports become self-funded, where does the extra money get to stay? The foosball. The football.
1: <laughs> so Let's
0: flip it and let's talk some football here, Brian, because over the weekend – had a pretty big commitment, highest-rated guy on the class so far, Leith, Ganam or Ganem, however you pronounce it. Um, if somebody knows the exact pronunciation where you can find it, please let me know. But the 6'5", 280-pound offensive lineman out of Charleston, West Virginia, who is the number one player in West Virginia, and a borderline four-star at 247 with offers from NC State, obviously West Virginia, North Carolina, you know, Indiana, Wake Forest, South Carolina. Nice offer list. What's the tape showing on this guy? Because he seems like he's already got the size, and it's not going to take much to put on to be ready for a D1 play.
1: Yeah, good good offer list, good size. Uh, what I like about him is he's got a motor. Uh, he's a guy that that, that finishes plays. Um, he's definitely an interior offensive lineman. He's not somebody that can be kind of a swing guard tackle. Um, just uh, we, we he had some tape where you know, I got to see some one on ones, and definitely not not the set he needs for, to to be that swing type player. But definitely going to be a a solid guard, I think, uh, as as he uh, moves along in his career. Got to get about fifteen twenty pounds on him, um, but I think he's going to do solid at the position. I like uh, what I see from him both in pass pro and, and run blocking. Like I said, good motor, but he's got uh, – uses his hands well in pass pro, uh, good good punch uh, and good recovery if uh, if, if there's a, a, a good first move by the defender there. So, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes of him as, as he works his way through um, – you know, next season. You know, once we get past signing day, but I like the pickup. Like, like you said, you know, fringe, uh, fringe four star player. He was a four star for a few composite. days, composite oh. four star for a few days, and then uh, you know, all of a sudden, he drops back to a three. You um,
0: investigated
1: the so I did. So I, I don't know what changed, but I do know that you know, rivals has him as a mid three on three has him as a four star uh and 247 has them as a high 3 uh ESPN has no ranking on him but that's not shocking cuz ESPN is I don't know what the fuck they're doing with them They, need, they need to take anymore. them out of the composite How are you the number 1 pretty much consensus player in a state and you don't have a, a rank. ESPN. ESPN just needs to
0: take them out of the composite first and if they start getting their act together, do their own I mean, thing. at least you
1: got on three in there now, so you can still get three data points. So you still have a solid trifecta of data points there. Exactly. So. I mean, also with
0: with this win, it's Joe Rudolph's first big win.
1: Joe, Joe Rudolph's Rudolph. first big win. Joe Rudolph's win against with, – with a player that is being heavily pursued. I mean, you could say, you know, Hans Hammer was in that – somewhat in that category, but – uh, Lath definitely in terms of major regional players all on board. Yes, they he's, were. He's the guy. He had West Virginia. He had UNC. He had NC State. I can't remember if he had a, a Penn State offer or not, but I, I did I not. Guess, did not. Okay. Did not have that. Had the South Carolina offer though. Yeah, South Carolina. That was the Carolina.
0: so. But but and, and he had his visits lined up. So it's a big win for Joe. Sean Quinn was the. Uh, was the secondary recruiter on that as well? But that's I think that's something that we all mentioned about Joe recruiting. Like, and it's also a guy who's taken and developed guys into good offensive linemen. So it's almost like if he's got the nose and he feels good about him, you trust the work, right? Oh you yeah, trust the work.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's if if he likes the player, his hit rate is so high that you're gonna you're gonna roll with it. Yep. As long as it's pretty much not like a bottom of the barrel. like. Two star. Although although he turned a two-star
0: into an All-American. So. He did
1: turn a two-star into an All-American. So there, there are su- success stories like that. Obviously, the the lower you get, the hit rate gets smaller. But yes, you know, Joe, Joe Rudolph is a guy that can recruit. And because he can also teach, yeah. it helps his recruiting. Because he can sell, you come here, I'm going to get you good whether you're a three-star, four-star, wherever you are on that chart, you got a chance to make it to the next level if you come play for me.
0: 100%. And with the uh, commitment there, um, Hokie stayed 25th in the class. So still, again, I think well above our expectations so far
1: this year. And, and trending good because we're, we're sitting better than we thought, I think, with some of Watch the guys back. that are looking to uh, announce their commitment over the rest of the summer. I think we're sitting fairly well with, with a lot of those players. Yeah. So as we continue to move forward, I think that it's nothing but good things here. I don't know where we're going to end up landing. I think just based on the volume we're taking and kind of the the trajectory we're on now, we're at least going to be that top 40, top 35. Yeah. Whether we can sneak into the top 30 is going to be the question. I think it's going to depend on probably one or two of those uh, those names that are coming coming due pretty soon because we got about seven players I think that are looking to commit in the next two to three months. So before their their season starts they're looking to announce their commitment. You know, we look pretty good with one for sure whether we end up getting if we can get four or five of those seven to commit yep. to Virginia Tech, then we're looking pretty good as we roll into the season. Um, and I'd, I'd feel better about saying, hey, yeah, definitely top 35, maybe top 30. If we're lower on that hit rate, I'd say, you know, keep keep it measured, uh, top 40, maybe 100%. top 35. 100%. All right, let's flip next. Let's talk about,
0: um, if you didn't see, didn't read about it, a Hokie football staff retreat down to Bristol. Um, well, first of all, I've never heard
1: of Beamer or the Fuente era doing this ever yeah if 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 we are incorrect somebody let us know, know in the comments i don't uh, hit either. us up on twitter you know shoot us something let us know if we're wrong here um i don't remember this at least not being you know well publicized so no. we're at least doing better with communication if we're not doing better with processing let us know what's <laughs> happening and it seemed like a legitimate almost
0: a typical you know corporate type retreat because You know, it was a two-day getaway. It wasn't like a week-long thing. They had a bunch of different activities. The staff got to choose what they wanted to do, whether it was like, um, you know, golf, hiking, fishing activities, a plethora of other things. So it was almost like you're going to get away, but we're also going to do some, uh, you know, some things. And one of the big things was having Jim Phillips, the ACC commissioner, come in and speak to the guys kind of about the the, the, – the changing landscape of college football. I think
1: that was that's pretty big in general, right there. Hopefully, you said a little bit about the ACC network deal.
0: Well, let's hope it gets better. Sorry, and that's twice hope... we've already mentioned that. In- yeah, yeah, we're all oh, we're gonna harp <laughs> all year. Wait until wait until the season starts because that first night game at Lane at eight o'clock in BC is gonna be on the ACC network. It's so still I-
1: wild that they were showing uh, fall football reruns. Baseball, softball, tournaments, going softball tournaments are going on. In, so sorry, softball regionals, baseball uh, conference tournaments were going yeah, on. Yeah, exactly. Like, wh- what the hell are you doing? <laughs> we're
0: we're we're gonna hark on this all night. And I mean,
1: I can complain too because you know, I felt like you know th- this is one thing, but a lot of times when there was games on at the same time, they were going to like UNC instead of. Uh, Virginia Tech with in terms of network priority, yeah, and I didn't like that shit because you should put the team from the conference that is hosting, yes, in the in the better position. It's true. my my opinion I, I, I'm biased I, I'll admit it. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I, I think I've got some logic behind my my justification there, so
0: yes, you do, yes, you do. but you know, a, additional to having Phillips there and obviously some staff fun stuff. Also had a motivational speaker. Brian, were you shocked when you read one of the first things that this motivational teacher discussed was relationships
1: because, Jesus, relationship pride. Put it as his nickname. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about relationships. And, I mean, we're seeing some of the proof in the pudding so far. So, um, and let's be honest, regardless of anything else, that happens, and, and anything else that, that Brent Pride does, when we track. looked at the previous regime, we saw how fractured those relationships were. Yes. So win, lose, or draw, he's going to end up leaving this program better than he found it because we're at least going to be sitting in a position where we know that the coaches in the high schools in Virginia trust what's happening in Blacksburg from a relationship sample, and, and I think and that that's a better building block for you know whether Pry has you know long term success at Virginia Tech or whether the tenure is is in the same ballpark as Fuente and we're looking in doing this thing again in five or six years. Yeah. Again, regardless of, of how that is, I, I like where we're sitting and where we're heading in the direction that the program is taking right now. Than I have in in a while, so. Yeah.
0: But you you mentioned it right there. The other thing they had the speaker talk about was trust, which is big because, like you said, they're laying trust in the programs around the Commonwealth and around the region about what we are as a, uh, you know, as a football program. The last piece was interesting, though. And I hear this and it makes me think corporate, but it talked about what are our best practices in teaching, You know, to have a motivational speaker come in and talk about that because that is something as football coaches that sometimes don't get through. Some guys are great on a whiteboard, can draw up amazing plays, but, man, to actually show a kid what to do, they're not
1: good. So I found it interesting. Yeah, I'm thinking of two things. I'm thinking of, like, was what they're talking about, was it based on, like, differentiation of instruction and growth mindset was that was that kind of the type of like filtering that through football like i mean those, those are definitely heavy buzzwords buzzwords in the education and teaching fields is True. you know so is, is that something that they were talking about how, how you gotta you know what's the best way to get to you know people that learn differently or people that yeah. need different levels of motivation to get out of them what what their ability is right and then focusing on you know the building blocks with with the uh, the growth mindset you know you don't have to reach your goal right now but you need to win today get get better today focus focus on that and, and, and go once one day at a time one step at a time until you reach your goal and keep that goal in mind but you got to attack it every day that like like you're going to achieve it or you're not going to get there
0: 100 percent. One other thing he kind of mentioned, I want to get this kind of pull the curtain back from your playing days down at Sydney. He talked about he did this also because he wanted everybody on the same page. Same page, same narrative, same language, same messaging when dealing with the team. And I'm also going to think probably dealing with all these camps and all these recruits coming through. Why is it so important, literally? Because he took the whole staff. This wasn't just like he took the 10 coaches on field and some GAs legitimately yeah. if you saw the group photo it was like if you are in the building and doing something with the football program you went to this if you're, you're on this. if you're on payroll
1: at Berryman, you're there if you actually get a a check <laughs> for from the football program you were there and it's important absolutely it's important um and I mean we talk about all the time you having consistent messaging and that that's what they're talking about is having consistent messaging from every coach every member of the staff when you when you go to someone you know that if you ask them a question you go to the next person ask them a question you're getting the same response and that that breeds professionalism across your department that breeds professionalism across your program and that means that everyone is also accountable and dependable on on these areas right that's the expectation he so he's setting an expectation that if you're a part of this program you've got to talk and understand and be able to speak on a lot of the things that these coaches do and if you can't you need to know exactly who to send them to and what to ask them and i think i mean that's important in terms in recruiting that's important in coaching that's important In you know, nutrition, that's important in making sure that you're doing the right things with treatment to keep your body right. It's top down, man.
0: It's awesome. and It's awesome to see things like this being publicized and then not just publicizing a picture. Because you can always publicize a picture and not say much behind it, but then actually saying what we did, why we did it, who showed up, what we talked about. Again, the doors are opening back to the program is such a big thing. And then, in speaking of opening, like talking about things, you know, DJ Sims, who went into the portal, was announced he's no longer on the team. Um, he's still on scholarship at the school for the upcoming school year. Um, but it, it's some, it, it's the, I don't know the rule exactly, but basically he can be a student, be on scholarship, not counted against the scholarship. Uh, apparently Lincoln Riley did it with like 10 players.
1: If a, if a player medically retires or decides to no longer play football, they can remain on scholarship at that school and not count against yeah. the, the the scholarship number for the program.
0: Yeah, and basically, you know, Proud just said he came to me and just kind of said he just didn't want to play football badly anymore. And I know that can happen. We've seen it happen with tons of guys, yeah. even more highly touted guys than DJ Sims. That they get there, and it's the amount of work, right, to put into to be a Division One athlete.
1: It's an absolute grind. I mean, just oh, thinking yeah. as a Division Three player, it was an absolute grind. I can only imagine at the Division One level what type of uh, grind it is, especially for guys that are playing multiple years, especially for guys that you know have other things on their plate as well. Yeah. Yep. So,
0: yep. so yeah. that's the way the direction went with DJ. And then finally, you know, Rashad Purnell, it, it, he commits to Liberty just the other day. Um, I, I'm I'm glad he did land somewhere rather quickly. Just yeah. For him.
1: Yeah, um, good for him. I mean, that, that's that. If you if you want to stay in state and you it doesn't work out at a Power Five program, I mean, right now. Liberty or ODU are probably the places you want to be in terms of whether you want to stay there for four years or whether you want to give it a one or two year shot and then, you know, transfer, get the transfer portal to, 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 you know, get back on the Power Five level. Yeah. Because I mean, those, those schools are still in showcase games every year. Yep. They are. You get, you
0: get TV time, you get eyes on you. We still don't know the reason why. Um, I know we'd love to know, but we don't know why right now. But, um, it looked like Pride talked with Lauren Johnson out at Highland Springs, and a path was given to keep his spot, but it didn't happen. And they released him of his LOI. That's something they did not have to do. Yeah, They could have literally sat on that thing until the end of – until August when he asked to enroll, but they didn't. They did the right thing early.
1: Um, it's like w- once once whatever thing was not achieved, they were like, all right, well, you go do what you need to do. You know, you, you're free to do that, and I, and I, I you know, you can you can criticize Pry, you can criticize the situation, but I think overall, um, you know, you always want to get a guy from allen Springs on your team, but but if there's certain things that, whether it's the university not allowing or whether it's just a, a level that you 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 need your players to perform at, um, off the field or or, or whatever it is um you know you can't make exceptions um or at some point you know the rule doesn't matter or
0: A- absolutely you, you, if there were things that go on and things weren't met you have to stand on your laurels on that because you start breaking them left and right for certain players and certain things then what are your what, what are you resting on anyway so
1: you yeah. don't want to lose your locker room with playing games exactly. and things like that. So Why I, mean, I, I, I get that? it. And then, like I said, it, it is what it is. know, um, yeah, I wish Rashad Pernell nothing but the best. And anyone pretending that this isn't a blow for the Hokies is probably kidding themselves. It is a blow because he was uh, underrated. He was he, an underrated. He was, was underrated. He was underrated. And I think, uh, and, you know, we talked about it, him being a tweener and that hurting his overall ranking. know if he if he'd end up in a three technique i think he'd have been all right uh with us uh played played at that level and that's a neat position um you know this year and next so uh you know thankfully we've got some other guys coming in hopefully the young guys will will show out and we're able to you know shore up that position group but you know it's definitely going to hurt for sure
0: absolutely all right so we got to talk about this because I thought he was in the Hall of Fame, but he's not. So, Corey Moore, the man who coined the Terror Dome back in 1999, is not in the College Football Hall of Fame. He is eligible again this year. And I'm sitting here wondering how. How? Ready? Drum roll. Here are your credentials. He played two years of Division One football. In those two years, 31 sacks, including 17 in one season, which broke the Big East record. He was a second and 13 All-American in 1998. In 1999, he won upped it. He went and he was a unanimous All-American. Also in both those years, he was the Big East defensive player of the year. One of those years, it was unanimous. It was the first time it ever happened in the 10, year, the 10 years of that conference at that point in time. And you go back and think about it, that was a conference where Warren Sapp and some of the best defensive players down at Miami played, not counting some of the guys at Tech. In 99, and if you're a Virginia Tech guy, you already know this, but just to make the case, he won the Nagurski. He won the Lombardi. He was Football News Defensive Player of the Year. How on God's green earth is literally a stretch of football in two years where somebody does that, not Hall of Fame worthy?
1: It's not. I mean, there's no way. How he's not already in the Hall of Fame is is asinine. Um, Just 98-99 alone, I mean – that's it. He
0: played two seasons because he was a JUCO. Yeah. You sit here and you and then, well, A, the sound bites and the way he played. He literally was a madman on the field. It wasn't like he was sitting here, you know, taking perfect angles. He was literally trying to rip people's heads off. And you know. I, if you ever want to see something funny, and a lot of you Hokie fans know this, that the presser at the Sugar Bowl in the National Championship is still one of the funniest pressers of all time, of all time. So whoever you are out there, writers, get right, put the man in the Hall of Fame. He deserves to be there because he is literally one of the best defensive ends all time in college football. No doubt. No doubt. All right. We're going to mention this real quick um, for those who haven't seen it. Um, July 18th, Hardywood Park Craft Brewery at West Creek out here in the West End of Richmond. The tailgate tour continues. Coach Brent Pry from five to seven will be there. I'm going to assume it's going to be some other players or some other, probably some players at that point, probably some coaches will be there. Tickets already purchased. Um, and I think me and Brian were wondering a couple months ago, we saw our friends in Northern Virginia and some people down at the beach getting it's like, when the hell is he coming to Richmond? Jesus Christ, this is where they brew the hokey beer.
1: <laughs> yeah, we figured it was going to come back around and it, it did, and it's at Hardywood, which makes sense. And I'm excited for it, man. Uh, looking forward to it, looking forward to. Uh, you know, hearing things that, you know, a little little bit further than what we're getting from some of the media clips and, you know, meet and greets and all that stuff and just being around other fellow Hokies and having something to cheer about, I think, is going to be nice.
0: Yep. So, it, it's 20 bucks for attendance. You do get two free drinks and they're going to have light food, which if you've ever done any sort of a Hokie Club stuff in any locations, it's usually like that um, and usually, to be very honest, one of the cool things about going to these events is you usually have access to the coaches. Um, take a look at my Twitter picture. It's with Bud Foster. I met him at one of the hockey Club events talked to him five or six minutes. Probably a little bit too long, but, <laughs> you know. Curtis going long
1: in a conversation, never. Hey, I met Coach Caff, too. Coach
0: Caff. <laughs> they should, like, invite Coach Caff to all these events so he can just roast other teams and make fun of other players so he's a great one all right when they they're not coming to wilkes Rival. you just need to get us a report on uh that crosstown rivalry yours <laughs> what's his name Brian Cayman Smith Cayman Smith we, we're going to get some detailed uh we're going to get some detailed uh, reporting on Cayman Smith when Coach Robbie Compton's defense has to go against that kid on the O-line this year. We'll have to find out what day they're playing and bring him on that Sunday night to give us a full round. All right, Brian, before we jump into the big piece tonight, which is the, the uh, bread fry, the interview, the quotes and stuff from a couple weeks ago, as we look through with on The Athletic with Andy Bitter's reporting, Uh, We are going to take a quick break for
1: a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode.
0: All right, Brian, so let's kick this. It was an interview. It was about 12 days ago now. Um, we, You know, we looked at Andy Bitter's info. A lot of the guys had stuff. But let's start with this one on the defensive side of the ball. Braylon Moore has moved to the offensive side of the ball.
1: About damn time. Are you shocked? <laughs> Not shocked. Not shocked at all. Not shocked. Um
0: and, and I love what Brent Price said about it. Um, you know, he talked about he can be a good defensive tackle, which he can. But then he went that – I love the step when he said, but he can be an all-conference offensive lineman.
1: Yeah. Now, I think that's that's the big thing that we're seeing is that, you know, as Price getting a feel for what these kids can do, he's seeing – all right, this guy might be able to help us more here. This guy might be able to help us more there. And not just us. This guy might be able to excel and maximize his potential here or there. And I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, yeah, when you have depth issues like we have at defensive tackle, which we also have him on offensive line too. So, you know, it's
0: probably easier to pay
1: Paul here. But um, (laughs) when we're looking at – When we're looking at this situation, it's about getting guys into positions where they can be their best, regardless of where those holes are in the roster. Because, you know, you can plug, you can, you can find a guy in a portal or you can, you know, have a guy that next man up. But if you get a guy that's out of position for, you know, three or four seasons and they never get to their potential, you wasted that. Yes, you did get guys where they can be their best, and then you figure out how to fill in those holes if you need to. And I feel like that—that's what he's going for here.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. It's—it's—it's it's a great way to put it there, Brian. You—you you deal with the—you deal with the hole. If a guy can be not—not not just better, but significantly better at one position than the other, like you said, damn the torpedoes! Like we're putting him on offensive line. Could he help us on defensive line? Yeah. But he can really, really help us on the offensive line. Now, speaking of the defensive line, the comment about Payne and his versatility, I I got a little bit shocked by that because he talked about good pass rusher and all this. But when he mentioned that he thinks he has the potential to slide inside on passing downs, I mean, if that's the case, that is a win-win for the defensive line on both the edge and the interior
1: yeah, it lets us be a little bit uh a little bit more pass rush focused when we go into those nickel packages without really losing something. Um and I think that's that's gonna pay some it is because we are thin um on that D tackle position this year. So anybody that can give us some snaps, even if it's only, you know, two or three a series, right? Like if any any blow can help here. So I, I think that's going to be something that's going to be big for us. Um, so I like that. Uh, I, I'm interested to see how Payne holds up, whether he comes in and immediately takes over opposite Garbutt or if he's going to be more that first man out on the second line. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that, that shakes out. Uh, but he's at least going to be on the two deep. So uh, look for him to be getting significant amount of snaps on top of as we said, they're plugging in at D tackle at the three technique on uh, some of those nickel packages.
0: Absolutely. I just, it, it, when when, he, when I read about that D tackle, I'm like, that helps so much because you got Pollard, Kendrick, and you got Boogie. You know they can play. You need one more. And now, you know, DN's same way though, because you've got Garbutt, the known entity. Everybody likes Cole Nelson and feels like he could be the breakthrough guy this year, but there's just not enough on the end. It's just not enough on the defensive line in general. I mean, I, I mean I'd mean, i love to see something in the next few weeks, you
1: know. Yeah, I mean, I think we feel decent about the 2 deep. Like, you got Garbett who's a pretty, pretty good player for us. He is. He is. And, you know, you got the potential of pain. Um, Griffin can give you some stuff, and I think yep. we're seeing, you know, Cole Nelson come along. Who's going to be that five and that six that are going to get those, you know, about 10 snaps a game that are going to make or break whether you can hold up, right? Um, it's true. So that, that's going to be the question mark. I think I think we're going to be be okay. Um, those first two lines, both at DN and D tackle, it's going to be those, like I said, 10 to a dozen snaps that that third line going to have to take. Uh, that's going to be the question mark. Are, are they going to be able to give us enough to hold up?
0: Yeah, it's also wondering can CJ McCray come up a little bit more, just a little bit more. He looked good in the spring. The question is, can he take that step? And the same with Panay. Panay looked good in the spring, but can they take the steps? But like you said, Brian, if you tell us McCray and Panay, yeah, I didn't mean to make that rhyme, but it did. Okay. If you can, if you can, like you said, just stealing a snap here, here or there, stealing those tapas to be there. And just being effective, not you know, not necessarily blowing the doors off somebody, but being effective, good technique, you know, whether it's causing disruption, holding down, you know, you know, holding up a, a blocker. That's it's those little things. It's the game of inches that's going to be so key. Now, speaking of games of inches in the linebacker room. Seems like Brent Pryor wants Dax to lose some inches and get a little
1: bit leaner and lose a little
0: bit of weight over the next couple months here.
1: Yeah, it uh, looks like he wants, you know, Dax to drop as much weight as he can, um, which, I mean, you know, that's going to be interesting to see how that shakes for him. Um, in this system, having a lean and fast linebacker is more important, even at, even at Mike. Um, so, you know, that's probably the move at this point, especially since, you know, we don't know whether Dax is going to be our, our best option at that position or not yet. Um, it seems like, you know, when we talked earlier about, um, you know, Keshawn Artis uh, sliding in there that, you know, he wasn't quite there from a leadership standpoint, even though he was, you know, at least at or near Dax's level in terms of long field play. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if there's a rotation there, what that looks like. Um, but I think a leaner Dax is better because I'd rather Dax, you know, Dax has shown me that he struggles sometimes shedding blocks, whether he's at the weight he was last year or at the weight he was two years ago in 2020. So I think I will take the leaner and faster Dax. Who can potentially get to the edge, um, get to the outside, you know, run sideline to sideline a little bit better, uh, because he's probably gonna have have those quest- those head scratcher plays, uh, regardless, <laughs> and, and 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 that's that's just I think the player that he is at this point. We'll see if he can raise his game up um, under Pride under Marv, um, but. You know, I, I would temper my expectations, so I think the leaner the better because uh, it gives him a little bit more uh, versatility uh, yeah. to make plays outside the box.
0: Yep, and that's something that Pratt talked about. It's like the Mike in today's game can't just play inside. They also have to be able to range, and that's why he was looking to get him leaner. Now, one guy we know that can range is the projected starter at the wheel, which is Allen Tisdale. But one thing about Bren Powell we're finding he does not mince words. He's not afraid to openly praise or constructively criticize people. And he was that way with Tisdale in this interview. And it he talked about basically, hey, you know, when, when he's when he's on, he, he's really good to be out there for us. But then he talked about, but when he's fatigued, he gets sloppy in technique, he he's just not one of the good players, and it kind of in a roundabout way. Ryan even began discussing where there might be some Sam's practicing at will in the fall.
1: Yeah, and, and I think that's that's twofold. So I don't necessarily say this is Prize saying Tiz is losing his job. He did say that there's some competition there, right? Yeah. Keller. But, yeah, Keller and a couple of the Sam's sliding over as well. I know you just talked about. So I think, you know, there's there's some options that we have there, but I think what this is telling us, number one, it's an explanation behind what we've been seeing on film for the last three years, because we're we're looking and we're saying, "Damn, Tisdale will have these plays where he looks like the best defender on the field, uh-huh. and then two plays later, he looks like he's lost or just isn't getting to where he needs to be." Like, there's there's just so many things that um, were just head scratches, and we didn't know whether you know, is it effort, is it fatigue. Is it not knowing assignment? Like there were so many things that we we, we had question marks on. and This definitely goes a long way, I think, towards answering those questions about his inconsistent play. The question is, number one, can he get better yes. between now and the fall? Because
0: it's not so much a lot, a lot
1: of fatigue. I mean, a lot of fatigue is, is mental, right? I mean, yeah. because I mean, you know, he's in shape. Yes, yeah. I mean, <laughs> he's not going. He, he's going through this with everybody else, so you know, he's in shape. You know, at some point, there's got to be a mental block where, when when you feel tired, when you feel like you can't give anymore, you give a little bit more. Yeah, and you got to push through, and that that's a mental thing. And and sometimes it takes. I think that I think this competition, uh, this 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 like culture of competition that that prize breeding could help with that because he is being pushed beyond that limit consistently. Yeah, he's not given the option to quit. He's not given the option to not not get to the line or not not go through it's 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 more than that um so i'm hoping that that type of atmosphere is going to help him so but number two when we talk about other guys getting reps and we talk about sam's getting reps if you can't get tisdale to where you want to be if you've got other guys that can go in there and give him some blows some extra blows where he can be fresh for more of the game you get a better Tisdale and you don't get as many holes in those moments where he's fatigued.
0: Exactly. Um, Now, one thing he did say, and obviously it it goes to what he was talking about having the Sam's practice, he feels good about the Sam's. He feels good about Keontae. He feels good about JR. He feels good about Kalai. Um, And the thing is, I think me and you talked about the other day, Brian, Keontae's the best overall. He Can do a little bit of everything. He can cover, he can blitz, um, he can play man. Jr. safety, probably more coverage, maybe play a little man. you're gonna come attack. So we might be tipping our hands. Let's say you got to give Tiz a blow. You move Keontae over to Will and you bring Lawson in. You might be tipping your hand, hey, we're we're coming this time because who we've got on the field. But sometimes that doesn't matter, does it? It's execution. Like you know what's gonna happen now, you have to execute against what we're doing
1: yeah i mean seventy five percent of the time we're we're bringing an extra man anyway anyway <laughs> so there there's gonna be some degree of attacking that that's happening um you know, regardless of who's at Sam or who's at will um I don't necessarily call it tipping your hand, but I think it's definitely saying, I mean, you know we're coming after you now we're just saying we got this specific guy coming after you. Um and you know, if I if I know Lawson's coming after me, I might get rid of that ball a little bit quicker than I'm ready to. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit.
0: Cause he he's shown how quick he can get there. And again, it's like the Walker thing. If you keep Walker out there where well, they're maybe they're just dropping him into flats or some sort of coverage, not blitzing. But I, I think how he feels about the Sam's really, really tells you that couple of those guys, especially Lawson, that he looks at athleticism on the field. And if you've got some high athleticism, he's going to find a way to get those guys on the field because of the way he likes to attack.
1: He values speed and athleticism over, you know, some, some of those other things that I think of the previous regime may have valued more. I'll leave it at that. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's looking to get guys that are fast, that like to hit, and that like to go after the quarterback, especially if there's linebacker positions. There you go. All
0: but right.
1: Rob, Rob, Robbie said it best, so I'll throw it up here. What's that? You know it's coming, but can you stop it? There you it? go. Can you
0: stop it? If you know it's coming, can you stop it? And a lot of teams cannot. All right. Let's go to the, the room that he said basically he feels the best about the defensive back. Room talked about the safeties. He feels like there's four guys there between Connor, People, Strowman, and Hawkins, which is great to hear. Um, because only one of those guys is out this year. After this year, and that's Connor. So that room's ready to roll. Not only the safety,
1: the safety room is in good hands going forward for at least the next two to three years. So, yeah, you feel good about that. Uh, You got a, a. Bonafide leader in that room, but you also have you know one guy that's played significant snaps. You've got a guy that you know has played You know some decent time in his short time here with Strowman, and then you got Hawkins that's kind of mixed in here or there um You know throughout his time in Blacksburg, so you got a really good mix of, of ability and experience and you know the question is going to be: Is Connor's transition going to be a good thing for him? We'll see. Um, yeah. I, th- I think that's the biggest question mark for everybody right now with the DBs. But in terms of just experience and ability, I feel pretty good about safety. Can I say
0: something real quick? Yep. I think if Connor wasn't doing a good as job at safety as he could have been down at uh, at Sam, I think Brent probably would have flipped him. I don't think he would have waited or hesitated if he did not feel comfortable leaving him back at free safety or field safety, whatever you want to call it. Look, I mean, look how he did the rest of the year. He's not been afraid to just move guys, even guys you're expecting like Braylon. Yeah. I mean, you know, Braylon did not have a bad spring at defensive tackle. He just felt better there. So I think if he felt better about it, he'd move it. Um, Let's talk about the corners. again. A, again, a group he feels good about with you know Chapman and Murray, Strong and Elijah Howard and DJ Harvey. Um but he did mention again he still wants one more. What 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 sort of why is he wanting one more? And is the one more do you think he hasn't we haven't seen anybody come through the the portal because it's he doesn't want one more just for this year. He wants one more for two to three years or that, that would
1: that would be my inclination out the gate because I think he feels. I'd, I'd go one of two ways. So, so let, let me let me throw the caveat in there. So I think okay. he feels. I think he feels good about Chapman. He feels good about Strong, and he feels good about Harvey when he's in the slot. Okay. I think he is fine with Murray and fine with Howard or Johnson, whoever is, uh, you know, playing boundary and field respectively.
0: Okay.
1: Now, I think what he wants is either he wants a dude, he either wants a dude, which, I mean, there are very few of them. Yeah. And there ain't and many dudes in the portal. <laughs> because for what this unit has in experience, they definitely lack in terms of high ceiling, high caliber plate there is not in terms of what they've done so far there is not that guy that's had that one season that has said damn you better watch out for him this year exactly they're very they're they're a solid solid two to three guys another two guys that you feel comfortable with there's a lot of good depth but there's not anybody great on that unit so you're looking for a dude short of a dude you want to find a guy that has two to three years of eligibility left that can play in that spot either ahead of Murray or ahead of Howard and Johnson. All right. that, that That's what I'm thinking, just because they, they would like to see a little bit of a ratchet up with that next man up there in case there is an injury. Yeah. All
0: right. Let's flip over to the offense, Brian, and, you know, something that just I know it jumped out at me, it probably jumped out more so at you. He was talking about what you've seen on tape already. Tyler and Joe like multiple
1: formations. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we we had a whole episode with that with uh, our buddy Robbie Cupp and plugged in a little bit here for us. We, we went through, you know, we like multiple formations. We like moving tight ends over the field in motion. We like lining them up all over the field. We throw some unbalanced formations out there. They deploy the tight end uh, and they use that to create the mismatches and the areas where they can outflank the defense. Yeah, and and and, th- and that's the bread and butter. And then they line up and run a play at you.
0: But it's just, but it's just, it, it's just refreshing to hear it though, because again, I mean, we, it's it's like it's it's the theme probably of the last six months. It's the things we wanted to hear about and hear somebody talk about. We're hearing about the things we see. We're hearing. We're getting some answers with, especially talking about how. Rudolph used those tight ends. You know, you're talking about motioning the tight ends. There's a lot of plays they like to do that with, or he did like to do that with up at Wisconsin, which you feel like you're going to see in the playbook this year. Yeah. Something else he was very adamant about, and I think we all feel this as Tech fans and just as football fans in general, he says they've got to figure out ways to be successful in the run game. And, you know.
1: And And I think some of the RPO elements that they're bringing in with the having two or three options, um whether it be run, running the ball or passing the ball i think that's going to help um alleviate some of that um i think slight drop off that we're going to see in terms of offensive line play from this unit this year i think some of the way they have the offensive scheme will allow us to be more successful in that so when I, what i say there i'm thinking like so think of unc unc for all their great skill players and everything, have a pretty average to below-average offensive line. Bad. But they they can still, when things are clicking, they can generate yards, they can generate points. Yes, they can. So that's kind of what I'm thinking. With this scheme, you can still generate offense even when your offensive line is at at best average, in some cases, a a slight liability, right? So... So we didn't talk about this,
0: but I want to throw this on you. Rudolph has the the pedigree of creating consistently above average to great offensive lines. Running a system like this, and let's and let's 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 project a little bit. Let's say in two years we're a top fifteen offensive line in the country. What can a system like that do when you have a dominant offensive line?
1: Well, you can completely dictate the terms because when you can just line up and run effectively, then everything else becomes so much more dynamic because you still have to stop the run first, right? As a defense, Absolutely. that's that's what you got to do. You got to stop the run first. So you know it, it becomes so much more of a liability and, and, and so much harder for the defense to stop when you are heavily effective at just lining up and running your, your, your base run plays. <laughs>
0: Right, like we're going to come at you, and then we're going to sprinkle some of the other stuff in, and by the time you pay attention to what we're doing, running at you, we're going to do the other yeah. stuff, and you're going to be completely
1: off guard. And big. Because now all those setups work every time because every they've time. got to honor it.
0: Yep. All right, going back to the running back room, was it? did it interest you to him talking about that he thinks some running backs might get play at wide receiver?
1: Not shocked. Not shocked. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, we, we talk about Chance Black, but we also, you know, think about maybe a Bryce Duke might slide up there if he's not taking a red shirt year this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I mean, that that's not gonna be, I think, a big shocker to anyone listening tonight. Um, you know, we know we know Chance Black is kind of Raheem Black's year two point in terms of his skill set. Um, does a couple things a little better, does a couple things not quite as good, but I think on the whole he can give us that same type of play. So i would I wouldn't be surprised seeing him out there um, just to give our our wide receiver room I think a little bit more flexibility. All right
0: um overall, he said just feels really good about the running back room. He probably feels really good that the running back room no longer has double digits in it, to be honest.
1: Yeah, we went from twelve to nine now down to six. I think that's that's a that's a nice number that you like to to go on to. great number. Uh, Another room he talked about,
0: feeling really good about, and I think we've echoed this for a while now, the tight end room between Drake, between Gallo. He mentioned Ty Eller, who was the, I think, Division II transfer in, which was very interesting that he mentioned him. Had not heard much play. He talked about, you know, obviously we know is going to be doing stuff. And Brian's favorite, Daquan Wright. (laughs)
1: Yeah, Daquan's joining the team this summer. He's already there, so let's – Let's not forget him. Like I said, I think he has the potential to, to make some noise in year one just because of the skill set he brings and, and the frame that he brings uh, at the gate.
0: Yeah. The other pieces we talked about, too, we, we've been looking at quarterback, and, you know, it, it, from the comments and just every the way everything's played, you feel like Jason Brown, um, we, they feel good about him, but he is just going to have to do a ton to overtake Wells.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, they they haven't named the starter, but they have named that unless something significantly changes, Wells is the guy. That's pretty yeah. much what what uh Brad Glenn said. Um
0: that was tech sideline, right?
1: I think so, yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I haven't had a chance to read that yet, but I yeah, I was gonna say Brad said a lot, talked about running what, probably eight to ten times, but not all
1: of them being designs yeah he said he said you know somewhere between nine and eleven rushes for my quarterback, you know a game getting sixty to eighty yards, but probably a third to a half of those are not designed,
0: yeah, so basically, we're gonna have some design, but the other ones are just going to be breakdowns and teaching guys when it breaks, just go not six, not sixty but six sometimes that's all you need is six.
1: And a, a lot of times, some RPOs have a quarterback rush element in them. So, you know, that's usually the third option uh, in some in some cases. You know, you get you get the the design run, you get the the quick pass out, and you know, sometimes depending on the design, there's there's an option for that quarterback to to take off depending on what read he gets. So, um, you know, that that might be whether you call that a design run or whether you call that a you know something Scramble. different, but. <laughs>
0: Well, it could be a scramble, but still look designed like if it's going to be a RPO and you're going to have a hard slant or hard, what, a hard hook or something and it's covered perfectly. Well, you know, you see it read eyes up, but then they immediately run and it's just like, oh, well, that's an RPO design run. It's like, no, it wasn't. The slant was taken away. The guy came down, took it away. He, he immediately when he didn't see it, he knew he just had to take off. Um, I like what you you we were talking about what the quarterback room is and your what you said it it summed up my thoughts perfectly sir go ahead
1: yeah so uh, you know we're comparing Grant Wells to a Toyota Camry everybody um, <laughs> not flashy not not the biggest name on the list in terms of what you'd like to have but it's well equipped it's got all the stuff you need it can make all the throws um, and it'll get you where you're going. And I the think that's kinda, got a little, yeah, little you, giddy up in the six cylinder Yeah, you, you're not gonna, you know, drop out on the interstate when you try to uh, try to pull out in, in heavy traffic. You'll uh, <laughs> you'll you'll be able to get up there pretty quick. But I mean, it's not gonna it's it's not a you know it's it's not a Camaro. It's it's not it's not gonna blow your doors off. Yeah. Um. It's not it's not a Corvette. Um, exactly. But for the most part, for the most part, we don't need a Corvette. You need, you want a Corvette every 10, 12 snaps, right? There's situations where a Corvette gives you a significantly better outcome. But for the most part, snap to snap, a Toyota is going to give you the same output. Exactly.
0: All right. That's all all I'm
1: saying. Yeah. Let's talk about the
0: wide out room real quick. You mentioned feeling comfortable with Smith and Lofton. And then, kind of saying he needs more from Blue Gosnell and Wright. Does does that worry a little bit? That I mean, he, he came out and said that.
1: I, I'm not worried about that. I think you know, just anyone that has watched um, the spring game and kind of looked at things saw that you know it wasn't Blue's best performance, and I think some of that was related to the offensive line play and the fact that Jason Brown didn't have a ton of time, but also he had that big drop, wide open play that could have. Uh, Move the sticks on third down. You got to make plays like that at the power five level. You can't have drops when when it's a chance to move the, move the sticks and keep your your drive alive because every point matters in in, in in certain games, right? So um, we can't have that. But I, you know, I think between what he's dealing with, um, you know, yeah. as as he as he came over uh, to Blacksburg and. I don't know if that's still weighing on him and, and he's still working through that, but you know, I can obviously you know, empathize with that situation and, and understand that if, if that was going on in my life, I probably might not be as focused on the on what I need to do as I would under normal circumstances. So I get that and hopefully he's working through that and hopefully he, he gets to where he wants to be because you know he wants to go out and show out. So, yes, he does. Uh, for for our sake and his, I'm 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 hoping he's able to get to the level that he can play at because we've we've seen what he can do at the highest level um, mm-hmm. of his game. So we're hoping he can match that here, yep. playing against power five competition uh, yep. in the ACC.
0: Yep, and and again he he's had a couple good seasons and hopefully being primarily with the ones and then again it. What happened? It doesn't. It won't leave his mind. It won't leave his mind. But you hope as time goes on, it's not at the forefront. Because I think, to be very honest, Jaden Blue to have practiced in the spring was amazing. Yeah, what happened? That that in itself <clears throat> tells you so much about him. But hopefully, gets in the fall. Things a little bit more calm. The kid can show up. I think the kid can be the stick mover. And we're going to need him. And I think him playing with Wells is going to help. Uh, not knock on Jason Brown, but I think playing with Wells is going to help playing, being consistent, which a lot of times that's what it takes, right? Sometimes you just start getting out there and you're playing with the same group every day. You're running the same routes. You're playing the same position. Consistency, and you grow right into it. All right, big guy. Let's let's talk about it because this is the worry point. Oh yeah. <laughs> offensive line. And you know, when somebody says I feel good about six guys, and you can
1: name five of them. Yeah. <laughs> I know the five that I know five of the six that, that he uh he feels good about. And thankfully five is all you need to start an offensive line. Yeah, but five, five is not going to make it through a 12. Five season. is not going to make it through a, a power five season. No, it will not. Exactly. So we feel good about Johnny. We feel good about Caden. feel good about Silas. feel pretty good about Parker. And feel good enough about Jesse Hansen, right? Exactly. Um, when we look, he said six. Who is the sixth? And, and, and that got my mind. That got my gears turning here. I was like, all right, let's. When I look at the. The spring game. Yeah, I was there. I watched it again a couple times afterwards. Jack Hollyfield is the person that looked the best on the field that wasn't in that group of five that I just named. So is is, is Jack Hollyfield the sixth? Is it a Bob Schick um, who did not have a really great spring game? Um, Is it Daniel Milichick who had a up-and-down spring game? Um, that's the question, and I think it, it's if no. If I way. had to put, if I had to put my money on there, it would be
0: Jack. You think it's Jack? Okay, yeah. Because there's no way it's anybody else. Because everybody else is either Walkman, Balkon or true freshman, right? From yeah. our calculations, um, maybe, maybe. Um, I mean, you said he played the best there, but when you mix matching offensive lines and you mix matching defensive lines. That's really tough to see, right?
1: He was with the group that should have probably meshed the best. So, you know, so was he, he with the, he was the with Silas. Johnny, he was with Silas, he was yeah, he was with that okay. group. So um you know, whether that you have having Johnny Jordan because there is a steep drop off at center yes. after Johnny Jordan. So having Johnny Jordan as your center makes everybody else better. I'll say that I'll say that from point from point one there. If you were if from a spring game perspective, if Johnny Jordan was your center, your offensive line by default was gonna be better, so right. you take that into account and you look at that is that why Jack is performing better or is Jack performing better because of his ability is he showing consistency in practice and in scrimmages when he's mixed match with with different players um that that's what we'll find out, I'm sure oh yeah, because we're we're definitely gonna at some point see at least a 6th, probably a 7th or an 8th uh, lineman that's going to have to pull some significant duty this year. So, oh, I mean, it, it's offensive line. I mean, I played it. I got nicked up. I missed games. Um, we usually had two or three offensive line miss at least one game every year. Um, that's going to happen. So we're going to have to have at least another guy Step up, at least, and hopefully one that can play tackle. Because right now, maybe Bob Schick can play tackle. Um, He's the
0: six because he can play tackle. But you talk about getting nicked up. And again, why? 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 People are in this in Hokey Nation are falling low with Brent Pry. He said it. If we have a couple guys get nicked, it's sort of the that's the oh shit moment.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Any anything beyond an interior line. Sorry, anything beyond a guard getting nicked, I'm worried. <laughs> uh,
0: you know, uh, it, it, it's going to be sort of one of those rough, rough seasons because it's going to be like if, if if we go through 12 games and no offensive linemen have significant or missed time, it's a miracle. So go yeah. ahead, start praying, you know, yeah. get some stuff going on. Like I,
1: I, I feel like, you know, Jack, maybe Dan can – give you a game at least a, a half. At least yeah. a half. Um I don't if a tackle or a center goes down, I'm worried. I'm i I'm very worried. Unless unless Jack can, can play center as well as he can play guard. But I feel like if Jack could play center as well as he could play guard, he would have been playing center in the spring game. Potentially. All right, one real quick thing.
0: Um, This is not hokey related Brian, but I just saw this announced um, earlier today. The next five years of Army-Navy was announced. Okay. And uh, here's a couple interesting ones. They're going to go maybe the first time ever they're going to play in Boston. They're going to play at Gillette Stadium on the 23rd, 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party in 2023. And write this one down. I don't know how you get tickets. December fourteenth, twenty twenty-four, FedEx Field for the two hundred twenty-fifth anniversary of the USS Constitution.
1: Okay. Right
0: um, I have been told. I, I them, like
1: that they're celebrating that. I hate that it's at FedEx Field because that oh, is the shittiest FedEx. stadium in the. Country. Well, it
0: is. <laughs> but from what I've been told from people that went like. If there is ever a game you want to go to that's not your team's game, and you can get tickets, to go to this one.
1: If any if any game can make FedEx palatable, it's probably that. It probably is this. Probably <laughs> All right. Anything else
0: broken in Hokey Nation while we've been here for hour and twenty one minutes? Nothing to note, man. I think we're good to go. All right. Well, that will wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, boundarycornerbt.com to listen to all of our episodes. Speaking of episodes, check that episode back in February where Brian and Robbie talk about the offensive and defensive sides of the ball to get you some insight of what potentially you could be seeing on the field this September. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Subscribe on your subscribe to our YouTube account and on your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. As always, Jason Long, our buddy, plays us in and plays us out. I am sure he will be down at the and Farmer's Market numerous times over the summer, so go check him out
1: there. He's looking Get for to- more shows out there, so anybody interested, hit Jason up. He, he, he wants to play this summer. So Yeah, find Jason on Facebook
0: and hit him up. He is looking to play gigs, um, breweries, wineries, potentially restaurants down in the Roanoke Valley area. Um, great guy, can literally play any style music, I mean, any. So, you know, please hit him up. Or, by all means, he
1: became famous on Longwood's campus for his Prince covers. So, yes, he did. There you
0: go. Wing, 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 wing shack. Um, <laughs> and by all means, for you guys out there in the Roanoke Valley area that might have interest and can't find Jason online, message us. We have been friends with Jason for a long time. We can phone call him and get him in touch with you. But, as always, catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening. And, as always, let's go. Okies. Okay.